Tonight, I will t- uh, talk about the five hindrances. Imagine that you are in the middle of a battlefield and imagine that you are surrounded by 1,000 enemies. So you fight for your life and you win. And now imagine that you are on the battlefield many more times and every time the victory is yours. According to the Buddha, it is much easier to win on the battlefield than it is to conquer oneself. <coughs> it, is the most, it is the most difficult thing to understand one's mind and to conquer all the enemies within. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. Many have done, many have done it before. They have conquered the enemies within. Persons like the Buddha or other Arahants, fully enlightened persons from long ago up to the present day. We too, we are able to conquer all these enemies within and to become fully enlightened when we follow the advice and direction given on how to achieve this goal. So first of all, we need to recognize the enemy. If we don't recognize the enemy as such, then it will stay powerful and it will be able to attack us time and again. When we see the enemy as enemy, then we are already in a better position and so the enemy already loses some of its power. Once we are able to recognize it as enemy, then we are also able to stand there and to face it, to look it straight into its face. Our biggest enemies, they are within, they are in our mind. There is actually nothing to fear in the outside world. The biggest enemies are within, it's our mind. And more precisely speaking, it's some of the mental states in our mind. Those mental states which are able to create so much suffering, misery, unsatisfactoriness. And this group of enemies, or those mental states, which can cause so much havoc in our minds, they are referred to as the five hindrances. Or in Pali, they are called Nivaranas, the five Nivaranas. And what are these hindrances, what are these Nivaranas? They are sense desire, they are ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. So when we are overcome by one or even several of these hindrances, then we are hindered to perceive reality as it really is. And so therefore we look at the world with distorted lenses. And so we get the wrong picture of what is actually happening. 
that's why it is so important to recognize these hindrances as such, as being enemies, because they can become a great obstacle on our path, an obstacle for further progress in the practice. And the weapon to fight these enemies is nothing other than our mindfulness. So whenever one of these hindrances arises in our mind, then we should be mindful of it. We should observe it and watch it as it is. If our mindfulness is strong, if our awareness is good, then we will realize these uh, hindrances or enemies for what they are. We will realize the true nature and with that we will be able to overcome them. But if our mindfulness is weak and sluggish, then we won't be able to penetrate into these hindrances and they will stay powerful and strong and so then it's them who will overpower us. So then at that time mindfulness is gone and we might be overcome by a longing for some sense desire or maybe our mind is carried away by utter restlessness. Or it might be that we are overcome by sloth and torpor, sleepiness. And if we do not attend to it, then the result may be that we fall asleep, even in the city meditation. So as I said, these hindrances, they are but mental states. And as such, as mental states, they arise and they also disappear. They are subject to impermanence. Once arisen, they will disappear eventually, sooner or later. They do not last forever. They are no solid or everlasting entities. So let's, so now, Let's have a closer look at these five hindrances. The first hindrance is sense desire, and in Pali it is called Kamachanda. <coughs> this means the desire of the senses for nice and pleasant sense impressions. This means the desire for nice visible objects, for nice sounds, for pleasant smells, the desire for delicious tastes, the desire for nice and pleasant tangible objects or sensations, and the desire for nice and pleasant mental states. In order to feel happy and contented, our mind always reaches outside in order to get some nice or enjoyable sense impressions. So there is this constant thirst to gratify the desire of our senses with nice and pleasant objects. But in our ignorance we do not know that this is actually without end. How much and how often we gratify the desire of the senses we will never get the desired uh, happiness. We are bound to fail. Because it's the nature of these um, objects to arise and disappear. They don't last forever. So we cannot gratify our desires for happiness with external uh, objects which are subject to arising and dissolution. But all the same, we still spend a lot of time in arranging our surroundings to get nice visible objects, to see nice forms or to hear nice sounds, enjoying enjoyable sounds. She takes 
great pains at getting nice and delicious food, food we can enjoy, we like. On the other hand, if we meet with unpleasant sights or sounds, or smells or tastes or whatever, then we are very quick to remove them and to substitute them with something which is pleasant for us. For example, when I was younger and when I was still living with my parents, um, my father, he liked to listen to the Swiss traditional music. However, I didn't like that kind of music. I liked to listen to classical music. So sometimes it would happen that I was in the living room and I was listening to some classical music on the radio. But then my father would come into the living room and he would go straight to the radio and turn into a station with Swiss traditional music. Or sometimes it was the other way around. As my father was listening to his favorite music, when I came into the living room, I would go to the radio and turn it to a station with classical music. So, this is the nature of our deluded mind. In order to feel happy or uh, contented, we need to have nice and pleasant sense impressions all the time. This is where our thirst, our craving springs from. And as long as we look outside to quench this thirst, as long we will not be able to get this kind of happiness that we are looking for. And so this craving or this thirst, this keeps us turning in the endless cycle of samsara. Nowadays, it's quite easy to get our favorite food anywhere or anytime. If we like Chinese food or Thai food or Greek food or Turkish food or Italian food or Burmese food or Australian food, whatever our likes are, it's easy to get it just around the corner. Or we can order it by telephone and within a few minutes we have it delivered in front of our door. So, to get what we want instantly and on the spot is what we take for freedom. We think that being free means to have what we want right here and now. But unfortunately, we do not realize that we are not free at all, but that we are actually slaves of our desires. Gratifying all of our sense desires actually means that we have become slaves. There is no free will whatsoever, but it is actually acting compulsively under the dictate of our desires. Under the veil of ignorance, this looks like freedom. This looks like we are being free, having the choice of doing uh, whatever we want. But seen in the light of wisdom, it's nothing else but pure craving. So, it's not gratifying all the desires of our senses in order to get real and lasting happiness, but it's actually the absence of these desires. Now, the second of the hindrances is ill will or aversion. And in Pali it's called Vyapada. This is the opposite of the first hindrance. Kamachanda or sense desire yearns for nice, pleasurable objects. 
Vyabada or ill will and aversion is the opposite. It's rejecting an object, not wanting it or um, having thoughts of aversion, anger, hatred towards it. So, Vyabada includes all such mental states as aversion, ill will, hatred, anger, resentment, dissatisfaction, irritation, or dislike. And whenever we get irritated or whenever we get angry or upset, we are very quick to find the fault outside of us with the other person or with the weather or with the noisy children from across the street. So we never look for the uh, fault. We never look inside for the cause of our anger. But we always blame some other person or some circumstances or outer conditions. We do not see that this mental state of aversion or anger only arises on the misperception that there is an I, a me, or an ego. And on the base of that, because the I um, doesn't feel at ease, the ego doesn't get what it's, it's want, so then it gets angry, uh, upset. I'd like to illustrate this with a little story uh, from the Buddha. At the time of the Buddha, there was a Brahmin, and the Brahmin's wife, she um, respected the Buddha, she venerated the Buddha, and the Brahmin didn't like that at all. And one day, when the Buddha came to that village, the Brahmin's wife and other persons from the village, they went to um, see the Buddha and went to listen to his discourse. When the Brahmin noticed that his wife wasn't in the house anymore, then he went looking for his wife and soon he realized that other peoples from the village too had gone to listen to a discourse given by the Buddha. And so the Brahmin was very angry because he didn't like the Buddha at all. He was angry at his wife too. So he went to the place where the Buddha was teaching and he walked straight up to the Buddha and started to shout angry and abusive words at the Buddha. The Buddha, however, he just stayed completely calm and peaceful. He didn't show the slightest signs of irritation or being upset. And only when the Brahmin had finished, the Buddha asked him, Brahmin, do you sometimes get guests at your house? And the Brahmin said, yes, of course, sometimes. I get guests at my house. And then the Buddha asked further, When you get guests, do you serve them food and drinks? And the Brahmin said, Yes, of course, I serve them the best food and drink that I have. And the Buddha went further and asked, Brahmin, now if your guests do not accept the food and drink that you offer to them, um, with whom will the food be? And then the Brahmin said, Well, if they do not accept it, then it is left with me. And then the Buddha said, Brahmin, listen, I do not accept your rude and abusive words. I leave them with you. Anger, 
aversion, hatred, ill will. These are quite dangerous enemies because they do not only set our minds on fire, but through these enemies the whole world is set on fire. The many wars and conflicts that are raging nowadays in this world um, are just the outer manifestations of the fires of anger and hatred which burn in our minds. Whenever we get angry or upset, it is actually us which get more severely burned. It's like throwing ashes, like throwing hot ashes at the person you're angry at. But as the wind is blowing against you, then the ashes, they fall back on you. And so it's you, it's your mind, your heart that gets actually severely burned. So therefore, when anger or aversion appear in our meditation, we should just recognize it as one of the hindrances and apply the the remedy of mindfulness. So immediately, we should start noting it, noting it very attentively very carefully. Also applying some more mental effort, noting it vigorously, not trying to be overcome by the anger, because that can carry us far away and it can become dangerous when we react upon this anger, when we lash it out in actions of deeds or speech. But if we are able to maintain uh, an attentive mindfulness and note it, then uh, the strength of our mindfulness will be able to penetrate into the true nature of this anger and with that it will lose its power, its strength and then it will start to dissolve. That can be a gradual dissolution of the anger Or sometimes it can even happen that the anger all of a sudden just drops away, just disappears. Now the third hindrance is sloth and torpor. And in Pali it's called Tinamita. All of the meditators are familiar with this one. And for many of the meditators, Tina Mida has become a good friend, unfortunately. (laughs) So sloth and torpor means mental inertia, dullness or drowsiness. And it is a state when the mind becomes sluggish, lazy and inert. And because of that, then also the body will be overcome with this inertia, with this drowsiness, and this leads to sleepiness. And some yogis even manage to fall asleep during the sitting meditation. So when sloth and torpor creep in, then the objects become blur, quite faint, are not distinctive anymore. And sometimes then actually the mind can feel quite calm and peaceful. And so some meditators, they think that they have attained quite a good state of meditation, but are actually not aware that it is just this inert, uh, drowsy state of mind. And when there is sleepiness, it's also easy for thoughts to creep in. And as the mental energy is getting weaker, so becomes the uh, physical energy weaker. And so then that's why 
our heads start to nod off, just falling over. And when a yogi reaches this state, the head sort of nodding off. Um, in Burma, these kinds of yogis, they are called Bhutanyu yogi. Bhutanyu is a kind of gecko or lizard, and they make this kind of movements with the head. <laughs> And when sleepiness increases and the energy gets even lower, then it's quite common that yogis, they start to sway with their bodies. Or if it gets even worse than that, then the whole upper part of the body feels forward and up again or to the side. And... That can be quite uh, distressing for a yogi. And in the early years when I was meditating in the center in Yangon, I had a fellow meditator and she was prone to sleepiness, especially at night. Because she got up very early, like 2 o'clock in the morning and had been meditating for the whole day. So I first heard it uh, when she told it in the interview to Sayadaw, I was just um, after her. And so I heard it when she mentioned it, that every night after 7 o'clock that she felt this strong sleepiness where her body would fall forwards and then up again and to the side and up again. And then a few days after that, um, I wasn't doing sitting meditation at the time, but walking meditation and when I walked back to my place where I was going to do the sitting meditation slowly and mindfully walking in the corner of the eye I just noticed that there was a yogi moving quite wildly up, down and up again and next time and so then curious to see if it was my friend I looked over and yes, it was her (laughs) And if sleepiness gets worse than that, when a yogi uh, actually falls asleep in the sitting meditation, then the Burmese call it Mue Yogi. Mue means snake. Because um, sleeping yogis, they make... like a snake. (laughs) So sleepiness is quite a common hindrance. We all have encountered it, are still encountering it, and we will encounter it in the future as well. At the time of the Buddha, even the Venerable Moggallana was <coughs> uh, battling or struggling with sleepiness in his meditation after he had just ordained with the Buddha. At that time, he wasn't an Arahant yet. And Venerable Moggallana, he left for the forest where he practiced meditation on his own. And, as I said, he was overcome with sleepiness, struggling with it. And by the power of his omniscience, the Buddha realized that Venerable Moggallana was having a difficult time, and so he went to see him. And so he approached him and said, Moggallana, are you feeling sleepy? And Moggallana said, yes, Venerable Sir. And the Buddha, out of his great compassion, he taught Venerable Moggallana of how to overcome sleepiness. So he gave him a short discourse of how to deal with sleepiness. After that, Venerable Moggallana continued his meditation and it is said 
that within a week he had become an arahant, fully enlightened. So if it was beneficial and helpful for Venerable Mogalana to overcome sleepiness, then it also might be beneficial for us to know how to deal uh, with sleepiness. So these are the eight ways of overcoming sleepiness as taught by the Buddha. First of all, the first way of dealing with sleepiness is to change one's attitude. Because, as I mentioned before, sometimes when we feel sleepy and when we get in this mm, drowsy, inert, calm state of mind, we actually take it as something nice, enjoyable. It's calm and somehow peaceful and quiet. So, yeah, we want to stay with that. We kind of enjoy it. But it's just sleepiness. It's just an inner state. And so we should not enjoy it. So therefore, we should change our attitude of not taking delight in this uh, drowsy state, but do something about it. And so then, the second way of overcoming sleepiness is to reflect about some inspiring passages of the teachings. So, for people who have some uh, theoretical knowledge of the scriptures, they just can reflect about something that comes to their mind. For people who do not know much, it could be enough to reflect upon one of the attributes of the Buddha. The attribute like um, Arahan, which means the Buddha is worthy of respect and honor. So if we reflect upon that, that uh, can help to overcome the sleepiness. If sleepiness cannot be overcome in this way, then the third way of dealing with sleepiness is to recite these passages aloud. But here we have to be careful. If we are meditating together with other yogis, then we shouldn't just start reciting. (laughs) If we are alone, nobody around us, then of course it's okay to do it. And that should help to overcome the sleepiness. So if these three ways of mentally arousing some more energy in order to overcome sloth and torpor, if they do not help, then we should turn to some bodily actions and try to overcome our sleepiness. And the fourth way of overcoming sleepiness, as taught by the Buddha, is to pull one's ears. To pull your earlobes, or to even pull all around your ears. Uh, Press and massage your ears. That can be helpful to overcome sleepiness. Or if that doesn't overcome the sleepiness yet, then the fifth way is to rub your face or to rub your arms and legs. This uh, activates the circulation of the blood and definitely has an energizing effect on the body and also on the mind. And if this one also doesn't help to overcome the sleepiness, then one should wash one's face with cold water or even go and take a cold shower. This will definitely uh, wake you up and stimulate your uh, circulation. If after doing all these methods the sloth and torpor has still not disappeared, then the next method is to open your eyes and to look at the lighted object, to look outside where the sun is shining or at night look at the light 
candle or flame or go outside, look at the moon or the stars. This can help to overcome the sleepiness. Or for experienced meditators, it would also be possible to try to imagine some light in your mind, to visualize something light and bright in your mind. If after that sloth and torpor is still there and you still feel drowsy, then the last way, the eighth way of overcoming sleepiness is to get up, go outside and walk quite briskly. With that, one should be able to overcome the sleepiness. But if after all, sleepiness is still persistent and the mind feels still drowsy and overcome by dullness, then the Buddha said that that one should go and lie down and have a short rest. But as soon as we feel refreshed, we should get up again. This last point is quite a difficult one because when we feel sleepy and when we lie down, even with the best of our intentions of just a short while, who doesn't want to surrender to sleep? <laughs> who doesn't want to lie down and, uh, for a bit longer? Once we had a meditator, he was actually from Australia, and he reported such an incident in the interview. He said that in the late afternoon he felt quite sleepy, his mind was drowsy and sluggish, and after having tried uh, many ways of overcoming sleepiness, the sleepiness was still there and so he finally decided to uh, go and have a short rest to recover um, from his sleepiness. And so he went back to his room and lie down on his bed. And then he said, when he woke up again, it was morning. <laughs> That's why Jamie Sayado doesn't recommend meditators to lie down to have a short rest. But he says if meditators really feel sleepy and nothing has worked to overcome the sleepiness, then a meditator should sit down in a comfortable chair, lean against the back, and try to... Um, relax in this way by just generally aware of sitting there in the chair or by just generally um, being aware of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. So in this way a meditator can restore her or his energy and then after some time the meditator can feel refreshed and full of energy again. Now the next hindrance is restlessness and remorse. Restlessness is uttaja in Pali and as the word says, the mind is not at rest. This means the mind is all over the place, thinking about this and that, planning that, um, enjoying a memory from the past, or being overcome with some uh, worries or stories, indulging in fantasies. As I uh, said the other day, this is our monkey mind, never staying still in one place, jumping from one branch to another, jumping from one tree to another. Or 
this restless mind uh, when we try to calm down the mind but still the mind is just flipping around it's like when we try to train a little puppy to sit still so if we have a young lively puppy and we want to train it to sit still in one place we take the puppy make it sit down and then we say sit but half a second later the puppy is off again running over there and so we go get the little puppy take it again sit it down and say sit and of course half a second later off over there so we go take it make it sit down again and say sit maybe this time it will sit for one second before it is running away and so with great patience every time it goes off we go get it make it sit down again and say sit next time again sit and so maybe gradually it will sit there for two seconds maybe for three for five seconds for ten seconds so we have to apply the same patience and perseverance with our minds whenever they go out we just catch it which means we are just mindful of the wandering mind of the restless mind and note it observe it as restless 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 until it has disappeared and then we go back to noting rising and falling or any other dominant object in the body or mind and when the mind is going out again we just go and catch it meaning observing it being aware of it and noting it as long as it is there so when we deal with the restless mind then we have to be careful that we do not expect that it will very soon disappear and not be there anymore but what we need is patience and note it ten times one hundred thousand times one thousand times but just have the patience to be mindful of it again and again and again so even a restless mind can be the cause for some understanding or insight to arise when we observe it and then we see it disappear and then the next uh, thought arises we observe it and we see it disappear so we can uh, come to some understanding of the impermanent nature of this uh, mental state called restlessness as everything else it's not permanent it's subject to arising and dissolution the other part of this hindrance the remorse this is called kukucha in Pali and remorse is the mental state when we feel unhappy or worried about something that we did in the past and this is actually twofold it can be the worry or unhappiness about something that we did and now we regret that we have done that action or it also can be the worry or unhappiness about something that we didn't do although we should have done it now looking back we realize that we actually should have done a certain thing but because we didn't do it at that time now we have remorse now we feel sorry about that to give you an example many years ago when I came for the second time to Australia as a tourist 
I had some sampa with me from Ladakh. Sampa is the roasted barley flour that the people in Ladakh, as the people in Tibet, that's their staple food. They mix it with the butter tea and make it to lumps and then they eat it. And I had, before coming to Australia, I had spent about four months in Ladakh, that's the Indian Himalayas. And I liked Sampa very much, so that's why I took a big plastic bag full of Sampa with me. But from my very first trip to Australia, I actually knew that one isn't supposed to bring in any food. But I liked it too much, so I thought, no, 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 I will get through, nobody will notice. (laughs) And sure enough, when I queued up at the customs uh, counter, there was a long queue, many people, and then one man walked along the queue, and he picked me, come with me, over there. And I thought, oh no. (laughs) And he looked at my uh, declaration form, uh, where I stated that I didn't bring any food, and he said, have you ever, have you understood everything, and is it correct? And already then my heart went boom, 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 <laughs> But I said, yes, I understood everything and it's correct. And so then he said, okay, let's check your bags. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> no, I have this sample with me and what if he discovers? Um, maybe now it's still the time to tell him that it is not correct and that I have food with me. But no, I cannot tell him that I have lied. No, 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 I cannot do that. And so then first he started to search my day pack. I had a tampa in my big pack. And so I thought, okay, day pack, yeah, yeah. And so he took out one thing after the other. And he was actually a very nice man, very friendly. And we were talking and he told me that he liked traveling around the world. And then the day pack was empty, emptied, and he helped me to put the things back in again. And then he said, okay, now let's check your big backpack. And again, I thought, no. <laughs> and there was so much worry, so much remorse, so much regret. I shouldn't have taken the sample with me. I knew one is not supposed to take food to Australia. I should have eaten it in India. Why did I bring it with me? But outwardly, I still try to be calm, composed. And so starting to open my big backpack. And again, he started to take out things one after the other. And talking about Ladakh and the Himalayas. And inside my heart went faster and stronger because now in the middle of the pack that was my Zampa and there were still uh, moments where I thought maybe I should tell him no 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 no, you can't (laughs) (laughs) and then he came to the middle where I knew I had it and then he took out that plastic bag and at that moment I just wanted to sink into the earth disappear from this planet because now he was going to discover that I had food what will happen to me? A huge fine, being put into prison, or what? And so he had this big plastic bag full of sampa in his hand, and he started to press it. <laughs> and then he said something to me, but it was too much Australian slang. I actually didn't understand what he said. But I somehow just assumed that it was not a question, just some kind of a statement. And so I said, eh. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, he put it aside. <laughs> and this moment was such a big relief. It was like a huge boulder had fallen down from my heart. Mm-hmm. 
and he continued to search the rest of my pack and in his opinion he didn't find anything so <laughs> putting everything back and then he said well have a nice day in Australia <laughs> and I said thank you thank you and I was so glad that I had uh, uh, that it was over so this experience was quite an awful experience and actually it was a good lesson what I thought was just a little act of being a little bit dishonest proved to put me in such an awful and really painful uh, situation now the last of the five hindrances is skeptical doubt and this is known in Pali as Vichikicca if doubt arises we might question ourselves whether it was right to come here for the retreat or not or we doubt that we have the necessary qualities to practice this kind of meditation or we have doubt that this meditation is really a way to overcome suffering and to attain to real peace and happiness we are also familiar with these kinds of doubts in one way or another and doubts they are quite um, a difficult hindrance because many times we do not readily recognize them as doubts but they seem to be solid uh, arguments or reasonings and it's really like this or I am like that or we might have uh, doubts like well if I'm going to continue with this uh, meditation if I have to observe pain then I'm going to end this retreat as a cripple um, or uh, my doubts my thoughts will never end they are just increasing all the time and especially when you are having a hard time then doubts can be very difficult to deal with because the meditation is already difficult uh, many unpleasant experiences and we want to get away from the unpleasantness so then we easily buy in into these doubts and we think well that uh, sounds reasonable that's really the way it is so I have to go and uh, stop leave the retreat but our doubts they are born from a frame of mind which is by, bound by our concepts by our misinterpretation of reality as it is and they are also bound by our own limited experience so if we take that as a basis for our reasoning and basis of our doubts then we will always turn around in the same circle and we will never be able to move into new territory on the spiritual path again with this hindrance like all the other hindrances the best way to deal with doubts is by being mindful of them by recognizing them as doubts by not buying into their stories but just see them thoughts doubts which have arisen and so we try to mindfully acknowledge them not to push away or um, make ourselves bad because we are having these doubts but just accepting them for doubts which have arisen in our mind but when we just mindfully observe them we do not give them any more food to make them going on because if we do not um, 
note and uh, observe these doubts, then for sure we will be caught up by the content of this doubt and this can carry us far away. It can go so far as packing up all our things and wanting to leave. And this has happened a few times in our center in Burma. And once we had a German yogi who had never practiced meditation before, at least not formally. She read some books and had some idea what meditation was. But she was interested to learn it and to practice it. And so she came with the intention of staying one month. And so she started to meditate, but in the first interview, uh, she came and said that it was very, very difficult because her mind was so restless. Uh, She said she couldn't concentrate or she couldn't calm down her mind even a little bit. And, of course, having uh, big expectations that meditation will make you immediately calm and peaceful, She didn't get what she expected. And so Sayadaw Uindaka, he tried to explain her that she should observe and notice thoughts, be patient, be perseverant, and the like. But then already the next day she came to me and said uh, that she really had a hard time and that she wanted to leave. And I told her, no, no, don't leave. You know, this can happen. And be patient and no. And she was really in a quite distressed state of mind. And so I also gave her a couple of German Dhamma books. Told her she could read a little bit. And so that kept her staying for a day or two. But... uh, She, in between interviews with Saido O Indaka, she came to me and again told me that it was really very bad and that she was thinking of leaving. And I said, no, no, you know, it will get better after some time. Stay. But then, the following day, in the afternoon, she came to my kuti, knocked at the door, uh, having her backpack on her back and saying that she was leaving handing me over the key, and then I said, huh? (laughs) And she said, well, enough. And that she had already packed everything, and that she went to the office to order a taxi that would take her to Yangon. And she said the taxi was supposed to arrive in about 10 minutes. And so I said, well then, let's go and pay respect to Sayadaw Uindaka. And so... We went to Sayadaw Uindaka's room, which was just above the office. And actually, as we were walking towards the office and Sayadaw's room, the taxi already came. And I told the taxi driver to wait, to wait a little bit as we were going to pay respect. And so we went upstairs, and she told that she was leaving. And Oindaka said, mm, well, you can leave if you want, but, you know, stay on a little bit longer. You know, try. And she said, oh, no, it's too difficult. I can't do it. And Oindaka, um again told her, uh, encouraged her to stay on, to try it, and to give it a bit more time, and that he would guarantee it worked and that she could do it. And he talked and talked and explained her. And But then she said, well, you know, Saido, my taxi is already waiting downstairs. I can't. <laughs> but Saido said, well, never mind. We can tell the taxi driver to go back because he only came from Mobi, from the little town. So that wasn't a problem. And... So Sayadaw very compassionately talked to her, explained, and in the end she decided to stay on. (laughs) 
And then actually she stayed for the whole month. And after a few days, after she wanted to leave, then she was getting all right. So these are the five hindrances, sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubts. As I said, these hindrances, they are nothing but some of the mental states which can occur when causes and conditions are right, but as any other mental states or physical processes, they are not a permanent entity, nothing solidly existing. They arise and they will disappear again. So, whenever one of these hindrances arises, or if we get a multiple attack of several or all hindrances, we should be mindful. We should try to be aware of that hindrance, of that mental state, in order to realize its true nature, to see it as it really is, and not try to push it away and then just have our uh, preconceived view of what we think it is but we should open up to it and really accept it as it is, look at it, recognize it for what it is. And then with this realization or understanding, then we will be able to overcome this hindrance. And in this way, they gradually will become weaker than they won't appear uh, as often as they do, and when they appear, they are not so powerful, not so strong anymore, and so they won't stay as long as they usually have done. So then they become much weaker and more short-lived. Even they are called hindrances, or even we regard them as enemies, when we apply mindfulness, then we can turn them into friends, because then we can uh, come to some insight or understanding. Or these hindrances, they are also like fertilizer or manure. If you take some cow shit, that's quite ugly, disgusting, smelly, but for a farmer this is quite a good fertilizer. It's helpful um, to put on the field. And so the hindrances, even though they are unwholesome mental states, but if we put the light of mindfulness on them, then they can become like fertilizer for our practice. They can become uh, fertilizer to help us get insight and understand the real appearance of them or the true nature of them. So they can help us to see the impermanent nature of all phenomena. When we look at them none of these hindrances will stay forever. We will see them arising, staying sometime, and then disappearing. So we can come to understand more deeply the impermanent nature of all phenomena. And this is called anicca in Pali. And when things are impermanent, when they do not last forever, then they cannot be the cause for our happiness to arise. And because they are not a permanent entity upon which we can rely for our happiness, so this means 
that they are quite of an unsatisfactory nature. And this is the dukkha aspect or the suffering aspect. And realizing that these hindrances, once they have arisen, we have no power of making them go away. We we don't have any control. That means the impersonal nature of these hindrances. So then we can come to understand the three common or general characteristics, anicca, dukkha, and anatta. So these three general characteristics, they cannot be only experienced in nice and pleasant um, experiences, but even in those experiences which are unpleasant or painful to us. So, when we um, experience one or several of the hindrances, we shouldn't feel bad or frustrated about it. If noted with the proper attitude, then our enemy can become uh, a friend because we are able to penetrate into its true nature and realize its impermanent unsatisfactory and impersonal nature. So, may all of you be able to deal with these hindrances in a proper way and become fully enlightened. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.